Big day today, Patrick. Nah, I just said Patrick. Dad gummit. <laughs> hey, I got an idea. How about Justin and I do the intro? Like, hey, what, could y'all do that? That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rabbit that. Trails podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here All right. we go. Try to get Oh, sweet mercy. Gonna be a, Garrick, it's, gonna be a it's a big day today, buddy. It's this is exciting. This, this is, is cool. uh, long in the making, but uh, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, not so as not to waste time. We won't talk about the weather. It's nice here. It's nice there. Whatever. That's we'll actually on. horrible here. It's actually pretty horrible. Here. Rainy we did it. We talked about the weather. Can't stop doing it. Yeah. Um, we have with us today uh, Patrick Gray and Justin Skisuck. Is that right? Pretty close. Skizik. Pronounce with a Z. Skizik. Yeah. It's, it's a mouthful, dude. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. Skis, as yeah, I sure. understand people sometimes call you, um, of a documentary film book and push ink uh, about the Camino. Uh, these two friends had a incredible journey uh, across the 500 miles of the Camino de Santiago in Northern Spain. Justin, you have a uh, condition, disease. I'm, I'm falling over myself because I feel like this is one of those moments where I should have a better word. But anyway, okay. uh, you have some progressive, progressive neuromuscular disease. All right. yeah. So much better than whatever came out of my mouth. It's all right. Uh, and, that, and that means for you that you are uh, in a wheelchair. Correct. And, uh, and you had this crazy idea to walk across the Camino de Santiago. Um, could you guys introduce a little bit about yourself before we get into that, a little bit of your story um, about that journey, and then Garrick and I would love just to see where this conversation goes. Sure. I would, I would say if you're listening, it, it, it's worthwhile maybe pausing right now and just going to YouTube and Seriously. watching the trailer. The trailer is, is amazing and is inspiring and powerful. And then after the then come back to podcast after podcast download buy get the movie and watch it because it's 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 incredible movie but, uh, book sorry. all of it get it yeah it just I'll push you if you want to Google it yeah and yes look at YouTube I'll push you trailer yeah yeah so, so Justin you know, yeah why don't you start us off man yeah I'll I'll kick it off you know so uh, quick nutshell Patrick and I we've known each other for forty five plus years now. Uh, we were born 36 hours apart, same hospital, same town of Eastern Oregon, right on the Oregon-Idaho border in the Northwest of the United States. And uh, there really hasn't been a day where we haven't known each other. Uh, you know, we, our parents knew each other growing up, or even um, we found out as we were writing our book that my great uncle was best man in Patrick's grandfather's oh, wow. wedding. So it's like, kind of our history, family histories go way back. And, uh, and, you know, we've always just loved living life together and we hang out together and, you know, and we just, I mean, we went to different elementary schools, but church stuff, uh, same junior high, same high school, went to different colleges, but throughout our lives, we've just been uh, very close and very diligent about just connecting with one another. And now we live about what, two miles apart, if that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so we, we see each other a lot and we have a lot of good, good time. But um, when I was just shy of my 16th birthday, I was involved in an automobile accident, which triggered a progressive neuromuscular disease. 
called multifocal acquired motor axonopathy. That's I don't expect anybody to remember, remember that. that. Yeah, it's it took me a while to remember it, but it's um, it's very very similar to ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, basically, it's the same, almost the same progression uh, as ALS. It's just a lot slower. So uh, ALS and my disease, basically, it's just your autoimmune system attacks your nervous system, and then your nervous system shuts down. So I have full sensation from head to toe. Uh, I just, my muscles just don't work. There's something along the line, just and they don't know why it's, there's no cure for it. There's no real treatment for it. It just doesn't, it just, something just kind of dies out and my muscles just stop working. Mm -hmm. And once they go, they're gone forever. So, uh, ALS is very rapid in that, um, timeline. Usually it's a, it's, you know, they're, it's a terminal disease. Um, you don't, you don't necessarily die from ALS or from my disease. You die usually from complications from it, meaning you can't breathe on your own anymore. Uh, you know, you could be put on a ventilator. Usually you get um, uh, pneumonia or something like that will, will take you out. Um, but you're just, your immune system's compromised. So that's my situation. I live with uh, mama. They call it mama for short. And uh, I, for those who are listening, I'm in a power wheelchair. Um, I use it every day of my life. I'm de fully dependent upon people to uh, pretty much do everything for me. Uh, that's getting me in and out of bed, clothes on, bathroom, showering, feeding, the whole deal. Um, my wife is my primary caregiver. Pat steps into that role. He's I call him my vice president of my inner circle. Um, <laughs> but uh, And my wife's the president and CEO. But... Uh, but you know, it's uh, life has thrown a, thrown me a curveball, has thrown us a curveball as being friends, Pat and I. But throughout it all, we've laughed a lot. We've you know we do dumb stuff. We're still idiots. Like we you know like we will be happy to say that we're not the smartest people in the world. But. Uh, but you know what? We love life. We Speak love for yourself. Food. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Seriously, are you going to let him throw you under the bus like that? Please, man. Yeah, I thought this guy was your friend. Whatever, dude. Whatever, man. But you know, uh, so yeah, I mean, and then in 2013, 12, I'm sorry, 2012 was when we had the idea of doing the Camino. Uh, well, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. What? You had the idea. I had the idea. <laughs> this was not my idea. This was not a joint venture. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, I, I learned about it through a public access TV show, uh, Rick Steves, Rick Steves yeah. Europe Good old Rick. On, on PBS, you know, loves who, to travel. Who would have, who would have known he was the pothead he is? Did y'all know that? <laughs> I did. Yeah. He, he's like, you, like, I didn't see that one coming. It yeah, totally yeah. caught me off guard. But, uh, you know, once I learned about it, uh, you know, I love traveling. Pat and I and our wives, and we've done trips to Europe. We've traveled, you know, around the U.S. and done some stuff um, as couples. And and this was totally outside my zone, for sure. I mean, Pat's a little bit more adventurous than I am in this type of stuff. But, um, you know, for me, I'm happy sitting on the beach with a margarita, you know, hanging out with friends and whatever, but, uh, you know, learned about the pilgrimage. And then I asked Pat, he came down to visit me and in California for a spring break. And I said, Hey man, 
what do you think about doing this? And he said, naively, yes. <laughs> and the rest is history. So, wow. yeah. so literally were your, were Patrick, were your words literally I'll push you. Like that was the first thing that came to your yeah. mind. Right? It's interesting. You, know, you go back to that, that, that point in time. Uh, what happened is it, my, my wife and kids and I were headed down to San Diego to visit Justin and his family at the point in time they're in San Diego. We're up in Idaho. So we, we show up at the house and I'm literally like putting suitcases down in the entryway. And Justin's like, Hey dude, you, you gotta come watch this. I, I gotta show you something. I'm like we just got here. Like kids are, you know, it's chaos. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. haven't seen each other in you know months. So they're going to the backyard to play, just trying to get like hugs and greetings. He's like, no, let's go. Like, okay, fine. Something's important. <laughs> so we, uh, we sit down in his living room and he shows this to me, he shows me this, this Rick Steves episode. And I had no idea what to expect because it doesn't really get to the Camino until, you know, the, the latter portion of this, this episode. And I'm thinking like, okay, this is cool. What's this guy thinking though? And Justin and I had talked about doing a trip, just the two of us for a while. We've talked about Oktoberfest, who knows, like just something, just the two of us, but timing and of course the wheelchair just made things very complicated. Yeah. And uh, as it finishes, he turns to me and says, Hey, want to go across uh, 500 miles in Northern Spain with me. And I just, without even thinking, I just said, yeah, I'll push you. That was it. Like, Okay, let's figure it out. Oh. Uh, little did I know what I was getting myself into, right? Like this. Meanwhile, sucker. But it was just kind of a thing where we've shared so many adventures together. We've done so much that's just been uh, a soul filling. Uh, whether it's been, you know, sitting on a beach in Mexico or going across to Spain together, those those adventures are what really kind of feed me. And if it's important to him, it's going to be important to me. So. There was no other answer I could have. Wow. I, I, I think it's worthwhile mentioning here because I think some people may have in their mind, if, you, if you're not familiar with the community of Santiago, may have in their mind, you know, just kind of pushing along a road. Uh, you guys went over the Pyrenees. Yeah. Uh, and then over got, three other mountain ranges. Yeah, let's several not, let's other not leave the ranges. others out. <laughs> like and walked, it doesn't end with across. the Pyrenees. It only yeah. starts. <laughs> yeah, so I, I do want to, you know, and, and I, I, there's this great scene in the movie where the Spanish guy stops and goes, what do you guys do? He's like, he's, he's kind right. of incredulous. He's like, what are you guys doing? He's like, you guys realize you probably can't do this. It's kind of what he's, he's got, yeah. but, he, but he's so nice. He's a very, you know, kind, he wants to help. So he's trying to do He's well-intentioned. He's well-intentioned. Well yeah. Yes. He was well-intentioned. Um, so I just want to make that clear for people who are, you know, who aren't from the yeah. Camino. Who are listening. So, well, so interestingly <laughs> enough is, as, so the topography of Spain, in particular, that type of Spain, I, a part of Spain, I sent a, an article to Garrick from, I think it may have been the BBC or something the other day, which said, um, take this trail in Europe or in Spain, it's the closest to Middle Earth you'll ever come. <laughs> and they've actually created a trail in Spain that resembles basically Tolkien's Middle Earth. <laughs> it's just oh, like, hilarious. so basically you guys just walked across Middle Earth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. All right, that works. Yeah, there was no <laughs> ring though, no ring. Yeah. No, 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 no ring. Well, I mean, you know, but, but Spain <laughs> is, is, after Switzerland, it's the second most mountainous country in Europe, yeah. is Spain. Oh, really? So I didn't know no, that, I know that. No small feet, guys, no, no small, small feet. feet. No, Which you well, know, was, but... What's really funny about you know, you bringing that up about the, the Pyrenees, you know, I mean, before we started out on our first day, uh, Gal is serving Ted, one of the guys that came along with us, and, you know, I think she was picking up his dishes or something after we had breakfast at a little, little, you know, bar before we left. And she saw Justin in the wheelchair and she asked like, 
what are you guys doing? Like we're doing the Camino, we're going over the Pyrenees. And she just says, no, you're not. <laughs> that was it. Like she just laughed and walked away. No, you're not. Like, yeah. That's, we got a lot of that. And then halfway through the journey, we met a guy that he's like, you guys did the Camino. Yeah, we started in St. Jean. He's like, you started in St. Jean? Oh, you did the bike route. No, we did the Napoleon route over the top. And he's like, he can't even process yeah. that we would be dumb enough to do this. <laughs> he's so just, he's like, no, no, you didn't. Yeah, we did. No, no, you didn't. <laughs> you did not. I hope you've seen the movie now because he's like, oh, wait, they did. <laughs> you got to go proof. find that guy. Here's the proof. Well, okay. So, so were there times in, in your journey where you're sitting there telling yourself, why in the world are we doing this? Like, did you, did you reach those points where it was, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. Or did you, you know, like, did you reach that point where you kind of agreed with that guy or was there ever any doubt of like, no, we're, we're going to keep going. For no. me, no, I think some of the driving factors for me, I mean, Pat and I both had our HR own um, energy or things that we're kind of working through on our pilgrimage. You know, sometimes we experienced it together, sometimes it's separately. But for me, you know, going through the Maseta in the middle, you know, it's that 100, 150 miles of a lot of flat, you know, uh, just monotonous walking. Uh, you know, there, I think for me, it wasn't, it, we, I don't think we'd ever was like, no, we're a, ever, ever give up or, or anything like that. It was, um, you know, my, for me, my driving factor was to get back to my family. So I really mm -hmm. started missing my family at that mm -hmm. point. Uh, so I was mm -hmm. like, man, I just, I really miss them. And so it's that psychological game that you're playing at that middle part. Um, so you're just trying to, cause it's, you just have nothing to, to do, but just think because you're just so yeah, just walking for yeah. hours, just straight line, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's moments where I had where it was, um, and I just want to see my family again. I just want to see my mm. family again, my wife and my kids, you know, but, but um, never like, why are we doing this or any of that? Mm -hmm. It was just, I think we just knew it was like, we were needed to be there and we were going to see it through come hell or high water. So, right. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's an interesting question you bring up. Uh, and like, like Justin said, there was never a question as to like, why are we doing this? But for me, my reason why evolved a mm. lot. And I think that's that way with any real journey you go on that maybe you, you embark on some type of endeavor and your motivations behind the, the work you're doing are one thing. And as you start to see that there's just more depth and breadth to whether it's yourself, the relationships that you encounter along the way, especially on the Camino, the, the motivation behind each step suddenly changes and sometimes it changes a little bit at a time and sometimes it's just bam you get blindsided by something you're like oh this is why i'm here mm -hmm. i didn't realize that two weeks ago when i started mm -hmm. the pyrenees but here i am having almost like an awakening moment a lot of people experience that uh but what's what's what was really a major motivation for justin and i at the beginning at the onset i mean one it was the shared adventure piece that, that's huge we just believe right. in that that is that is critical to a life well lived is to share adventures with your wife your husband your kids your friends and, and pursue those recklessly if you have to make them happen yep. because those those are the memories that that really are the the foundation for the smaller adventures in life that are those actual relationships yep but um, which I would argue are actually the bigger adventures, but they aren't the grand things, right? 
But you go back in a time to when we uh, were, were getting ready to take off, uh, you know, well, actually before about a year ahead of time, the, the, this whole thing was going to be just Justin and I going on this journey. That was it. Like it was just two dudes going to have a good time, see if we could figure it out. Kind of a grand experiment in humanity. Probably going to go south at some point. It's kind of what we're thinking, <laughs> but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give it a shot. Yeah. And uh, I was working at a hospital at the time as a director um, in, in, in administration. And so my, my boss, we had this uh, work barbecue and it was like spring day trying to get away from the stresses of work, this, that, and the other. And so all our families are around and I'm pushing my daughter in these swings and my boss comes walking over and we're just kind of small talk. And this guy rolls by in a manual wheelchair, just, just triggered like this thought of Justin, like, oh man, and Justin and his family were actually in, um, over in uh, Italy at the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, if we're going to do this, this is about a year after Justin brought the idea up. If we're going to do this, like it's, there's, there's never going to be a right time. There just isn't. We, we just got to have the right mentality. Let's, let's just pull the trigger and go. So I t- asked Ed, hey, Ed, well, I didn't ask him. I told him. Um, hey, Ed, I'm going to uh, need a six weeks off next summer. And he's like, you, you need how much time? What? <laughs> like, we're, one, like, why? And who asked for six weeks off? Like, Things right. you never want to ask in America if you want to keep your job. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and he knew of Justin, had never met him. But uh, I explained to him the situation, Justin's idea, and my, you know, stupidity slash willingness to be a part of the shenanigans. Yeah. And, uh, he got so excited, but what really kind of was driving Justin to a certain degree was when the way Ed responded to this situation, because I was so excited to tell Justin about this. He said, I will do everything in my power to give you the six weeks off as long as you promise me that you guys will do everything in your power to document it on film. Oh. And I asked him why. Okay. He said, because if you don't, you're selfish and you're irresponsible. There's too much hope not to share it. Wow. Mm. And that just like the, kind of like the, the 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 scales came off our eyes to a certain degree, right? We're like, oh wait, this is about so much more than Justin and I. We didn't see that, mm-hmm. uh, we didn't appreciate, and we still don't at certain times appreciate that what we have is so unique. Our friendship is not something that a lot of people have, and so we just grew up with it. But to mm-hmm. be able to share a depth of intimacy, vulnerability, uh, just and just just openness with other people. What Ed was, t- I mean, we've, got, we've gone back and talked with him you know, afterwards. Like what, what I saw is that someone else, someone else's story depends on your story. Someone else's livelihood, someone else's journey, their outcome depends on your story, just like your story depends on somebody else's. We have to share and tell our stories every chance we get. And you've been given an opportunity to do this. Don't screw it up is what he was telling us. Mm. And we wow. took that to heart. Like, okay, mm. let's, let's figure this out. And so when we're on the trail, for me, that was in my head at least once a day of like, man, we've been given so much hope in this. Yeah. Let's do what we can to share it every day. Yeah. That's dude. Go ahead. Go ahead, Garrett. Go ahead, man. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that I didn't see. That was one question I had was how did, how did the, the idea of filming it, you know, how did that come about? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, that, that that's fascinating because you kind of had a lot of actually had a lot more pressure on you guys maybe we didn't feel as pressure, but there's this, there's something that was beginning to drive this in a certain direction, uh, which is fascinating. And I was going to, um, because, because it's hard because you, you, you guys, you know, you should say in kilometers, cause it's a thousand, it's over a thousand kilometers, you know, almost, you know, something like that. It's it, that sounds 60. 
Is, is they yeah. say, okay, well, well, like that's just trail, including right. walking around in town and all that. Right. I mean, yeah, you, right. Easy yeah. surpass a yeah. thousand kilometers. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. I mean, probably yeah. even 1500 if you were to really start adding everything yeah. together. But, yeah. Especially when you add up going through Pamplona looking for aluminum welders. Oh, yeah. Gosh. <laughs> well, it's, it's all the, it's all the adventures too that you get in on the community. Well, so, so, right. so the, what I was going to was wanting to go is one of the geniuses of the, of the film is you kind of go into it thinking this is some, I mean, it, it, you get the strength of this relationship that you guys have. It's, it's very clear, but you also kind of think it's going to really be about Justin and it is, but, but along the way, and what, what I've experienced with so many people who walk the Camino, they kind of go with one idea in mind and then something totally different happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can say we can say Camino, but pilgrimage or this or, or journey, where you embark on something, and and that's I think one of the genius elements of this film is it captures that reality. And yeah. I've seen that happen. I think it's happened to Barrett. It's happened to a lot of people. And Patrick, it, it really happens. You you're the one that has, seems to have you know even this, this huge kind of transformation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as as you walk. Um, I'm yeah, interested in in, 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 in in that a little bit. Well, I'll I'll jump in here a little bit, Patrick. You know, I emailed you a long time ago. Just when I when I found the film, I was on my balcony one day and I was longing back to the Camino and I was looking through Amazon to see what was available, and I came across it and I watched it and of course just I mean just tears you know streaming down my face because of still to this day. I mean I've watched the film three or four times. I've I've read your book and every time I get to a certain point, well it doesn't matter how much I get into it. The 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 Lord uses it in my life continually to show me new things. But God was also at a place I was also at a place where God was teaching me and challenging me in a lot of ways. Um I I went to the Camino as part of a 50th birthday celebration uh for a buddy. And of course you know, with Agape, who we work for in Spain, there is a Camino house. I've been around Camino ministry. I'd never gone to the house, but I, I've been invited several times. So I was, I was familiar with the Camino and I knew it was powerful. The ministry in Ireland always leads teams of people through or, uh, groups of students through, and it's a, an incredible thing that they do. Um, but I'd never gone and I'd always wanted to do it. So I was really excited to do it, but I showed up and I was not prepared for, I thought this is going to be a really great time to connect with people and my wife and I were at a moment where we were praying to God. We're not really sure about kind of some of our own next steps. And the last thing my wife says to me as I'm walking out the door to go to the airport was go figure out what we're doing with our future. And I kind of laughed. I was like, yeah, whatever, come on. And lo and behold, God hit me upside the head on that, on the Camino. And, and so that was part of the reason that maybe we'll get into a little bit of my story a little bit later, but that was part of the reason why I even just emailed you just to thank you, because I, to be honest, I saw so much of myself in a little bit of your story of, mm-hmm. um, you know, job and stress. Um, you know, recently it comes out more in the book than it does in the film, uh, mm-hmm. but the amount to which you just felt like I'm not connecting with my, with my kids and my wife, I'm impatient or, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, I could have wrote that part of your story because that's the life that I had been living for about mm-hmm. the last seven years. And, just exhausted. And I tell people all the time, 2020 has been the worst year for anyone. And I understand that for me, it saved me mm-hmm. uh, starting in 2019 and, and what God's done in 2020 is it, through the Camino and, and everything else. But 
So, but for you, it is very clear, Patrick, what, what happens, the journey. So could you take us into a little bit of that journey, kind of some of that process? And then what I would say is it, it seems to hit in Osobrero mm-hmm. uh, or actually really at the cross. Um, yeah. <laughs> so take us into a little bit of that and, and we'll, we'll, okay. This is loaded, man. Um, I know. Well, okay. but this is the good stuff, but maybe the good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. So to give you uh, folks listening kind of perspectives. So prior to us going on this journey, Justin and I, uh, you know, I mean, he had moved up from, um, from San Diego uh, once we decided to go. Shortly after the decision was made, is about what, about five weeks later, you were actually up here living after we yeah. decided we were going to wow. the Camino at some point. Um, I mean, not, not in 2012, in 2013, when Ed said, you got to film it, when I actually made the decision that, hey, Justin, we, we got to go, go. Uh, but I was working in, in healthcare administration. My job was one that I had been in for about three and a half years at that point. That was, I'm a very type A driven personality. I get stuff done. I don't mess around. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a doer. Uh, I can see, see what needs to be done and, and just tackle it. And so I was really good at what I did at the hospital, but I'm also as a type A individual, someone who's a bit of a control freak. And so for me, safety is actually control, which is a perverted sense of safety. But if I can wrap my mm-hmm. arms around things, if I can have my hands in it and know what the outcome is going to be, no one else can screw it up. I'm safe, right? But as a, as a result of that, in a job that was evolving rapidly, I uh, was going from 60 to 70 to 80 hour weeks because I wasn't letting the people around me that could do the jobs that I was involved in just as well as I could. I wasn't letting them actually have control. And so my job was consuming me, but I didn't see it at this point in time. It's just important you guys have this this kind of frame of reference. And so as a result, I was a very neglectful husband and father, very neglectful. So we're halfway through the Camino uh, on the, the Maseta or in the Maseta. And we had one day where we call them headphone days. We just pop headphones in and cruise. We don't need any help. It's flat. Uh, Justin's chair, when you get it rolling, we actually kind of, there was a momentum to it. So it actually was pretty easy on the flats. Uphill, downhill was brutal. But on the flats, I could just cruise. And so um, we're just cruising along listening. I still remember, I was listening to actually Emancipator. It was the artist I was listening to. And the Maseta is a place, as Justin kind of alluded to earlier, that there's nothing, right? I mean, it's the same landscape. It's just, it's just wheat fields for as far as you can see. It's the same hill in the distance. It's the same church steeple. Nothing changes. And so when my eyes aren't occupied with something else, there's nothing distracting me. I go inward in a way I have never gone in my entire life mm. where I, it's like I, I am, it's, it's not like I'm, I'm trying to be introspective. I am sucked inside myself mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. There's, there's no other way to describe it. It's like a, a force just pulled me in and I came face to face with who I was and it was not pretty mm-hmm. because in that moment I saw the past three and a half, four years of me being the person I didn't want to be, of just being a neglectful dad. The, I mean, I, I can still remember answering phone calls from physicians while I'm lying in bed with my daughter reading books to her. Like, who does that? Right? I mean, it, it, there's no excuse. I gave, I gave my family and my, uh, and my wife and kids so many reasons to doubt my love for them mm. over and over and over. So in the Maseta, all of those all of those moments hit me at once. The only way I can describe it is it's like behind my eyes, there were just 
tens of thousands of TV screens playing every different moment all at once. And it just hit, it just wow. like a wave of grief. It was, it was awful. Um, it was awful. And I just started to weep. I was, I was bawling. I, I, I can't do this anymore. Right. And so I tell Justin what's going on and we got to get to the next town because I need to talk to my family. And so I can't remember what town it was, little place that had, you know, Wi-Fi. We pull out the iPad we used to Skype with the family. I'm just hoping and praying that they're going to, you know, be up and at them because it was, it was early at home. And my kids were young at the time. Uh, call gets through. Kids are happy to talk to dad. And I just apologized to him. I was like, hey, guys, I'm so sorry for who I've been. And they were so young at the time. And they're so forgiving and resilient. They're like, we we forgive you, daddy, we love you. And then they're off watching cartoons or whatever, you know. Bring me home some doing. Legos. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, yeah. But there's still weight to those moments that's gonna, yeah. you know, come up later, I'm sure. Um, yeah, definitely. But we tell our we tell our kids we're saving for for counseling or college, they can right. choose. Yeah. Exactly, right? Well, <laughs> one or the other. Sorry, here we, here we are. It's all right, it's all right. Here we are. Now it's just my wife and I. And I'm a mess. Like I'm, I'm barely getting words out. And she's like, what in the world is wrong with you? Is what she's thinking. Right. And I just said to her, I said, I, I just need to need you to listen. I'm going to get this out. And I, I just said, I am sorry for all the times I've broken your heart. And I know there've been many. And all she said was, if you never broke my heart, how would I learn to love you more? And it just wow. blew my mind. And this was the tipping point. It's like where mm. everything shifted, where I mentioned earlier, I thought I knew why I was there. This is when I got slapped across the face and God's like, it's time to wake up, son. It's time to wake wow. up. So were you and, cognizant in that moment that, okay, this is changing. This is, this yes, is a different yes, community now. I didn't know okay. what, I didn't know how. Yeah. I just knew that, man, this, this just went from a journey of adventure, but share between two friends to, like an emotional and mental revolution inside of me that this is, this was going to change. I, I, I didn't know what it looked like, but there was a wave of, of just something so much better about to wash over me. And I, I was excited and terrified at the same time. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, um, Osobrero. So that's, this, this happens on, I was like, on gosh, like day 24 or five that happened, if I remember correctly. So on day when we hit, uh, it was day 26, right? Justin Osobrero. Yeah. Or not with Severo, uh, Christopher, I mean, Chris, yeah, Chris yeah. So for those that have been there, you understand this. Those that haven't, you know, Christopher is the highest point on the Camino. It's just a tall wooden pole with the iron cross the top. And it's a place that is a destination for so many people just to bring, well, a lot of you refer to it as Ebenezer Stone, but just a, something that, that, that signifies pain, loss, grief, addiction, or just a, a different perspective in life. Something that's going to be like it's a physical representation of setting something down that you're letting go of whatever is is either you know weighing you down or you you just need to have a different perspective in life. But most of the stones that are left there are left because people are dealing with some type of grief or pain. And we knew this. We had no plan of what we we're gonna do there. So on that day as we're marching towards towards Cruz de Ferro, it dawned on me that man, um, Right before I left, one of my coworkers, her name is Becca. She came up to me and she said, hey, I want to give you something before you leave, something to remind you that I'm praying for you. And there was a little pewter medallion that had a angel, you know, kind of like embossed in it. And she said, I'm praying for safety. And I was borderline dismissive. 
like, oh, thanks. You know, that was it. Like I didn't think about it, but I put that pewter coin in my, my money belt that was like inside my pants the entire way to keep my passport and money safe. It was just right there at my waist. And it just like, this is what you got to give up. And mm. it was like that, that conversation with my wife was this, this catalyst of, okay, yeah. your perspective on safety, your obsession with control is consuming you and is destroying your wife and kids. Mm. This has got to change. So uh, we get to Cruz de Ferro and I'm just like, this is what I got to lay down. Mm. And so I pulled that little coin out and I marched up to the base of that cross and set it down. And I still remember it. Like I, I just said, I don't want to be safe anymore. Not if this is what it looks like. I, I can't do this. Mm. And it was a painful moment because I think I, at that point, I was truly ex accepting of what I had done. Where I, when I apologized to my wife, it had hit me, but mm. I understood the full weight of my actions at that point. Mm. I understood the, the, the depth of pain I'd caused my son and my two daughters. And it, it showed me that, okay, control is everything, Patrick, right? It's, it's, I mean, it's not just in your work, it's in your family. It's in this, like I set out as the individual who's going to get Justin from St. John to Santiago. I, I was the engine. I was the, at mm -hmm. the, at the, I was it, right? But I wasn't, I couldn't do it on my own. There was no way. And so I had this moment on Cruz de Ferro where I got to let this stuff go. And the very next day we hit Osobaro mm -hmm. and we met some friends uh who earlier on well new friends people we met earlier on that were going to help us out but uh it was so interesting the way that day started a guy by the name of joe got in my face and said hey you're not pushing at least not for a while and we started climbing up that was and there wound up being 12 people that took off and i got left in the dust and it, i was like at this at this I point of the film or in your it. book if 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 a person is reading or watching this and you're yeah. not near weeping, I, yeah, I, please check your humanity. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, honestly, so I, I cut you off there a little bit, but Jason, right. uh, Patrick, but the, the reality, I mean, it is so incredibly moving um, because it, you, you realize in that moment what's going on that, it's Justin all along that's been pushing you. Like, yeah. it's like this weird thing. And Justin, I'm sure you, you, I know that you have had your own things that you, you had your own Camino and you had mm -hmm. things that you had to give up and control and, and everything else. But it is this moment where you realize one, the beauty of the Camino of people just pitching in and the beauty of what it is and the beauty of humanity, like that, maybe we're not, but it, but it's also at this point for me, every time I watch it or I read it, there is something that's calling into me where I see that people say, we're going to chip in and it, it hits me, man. What, what was it like for, for you, Patrick, to live that? Well, Justin has Hold a great on, perspective on, on this. I'm on a live call with you. All right. <laughs> I Justin's <laughs> Justin's perspective is, is really important here. Um, but I, like, he's at the center of all this, right? Right. He's the center of this. He is the, like the, the hub of the wheel of what's the energy of us moving things forward. All these people are just gathered around him with a symphony of just, just humanity. It's beautiful. 
And I get to be back and watch this unfold. But what it was for me is, okay, I am seeing the magnitude of what can happen when we shut up and get out of the way. Mm. When we, when we, it, like mm. one of the most important things I've learned as a leader in any situation is the best leaders know when to get out of the way. And, and this is the first time I had truly gotten out of the way because my mm. weakness was going to bring everybody else down. I had pushed mm. myself so hard for so long, not seeing that I couldn't do it on my own, that I had exhausted myself to the point where it took so many other people to do what I thought I was going to be able to do. And while it broke me to a certain degree, it was, it was like the, I mean, we talk about the kind of, you know, my wife and then that, the setting the coin down where there's this evolution of kind of seeing things differently. It was where I get to see on a big screen TV and the best theater in the world kind of sound just rushing through me, like this experience of like, oh, that, that kind of, of, of pitching in, that teamwork, that's what I could be a part of if they wouldn't make it about my own control, my obsession and my need to be in, in charge of things. I could have been a part of that, but because I'm so broken down, I'm so tired and exhausted, mm. I just get to watch it happen. And that was hard. That was mm. really, really hard. But it's the, it's the only thing that I needed in that moment was to watch mm. everybody else do what I couldn't do. Mm. And you so, can see it actually in the movie very quickly as we're climbing Osabrero. there's a very short, snippet clip it shows patrick and he has no backpack on yeah um i mean people took everything from him like mm. they took me i mean they whisked me off and off i went you know uh and they even took pat's bag off his back so he didn't have to carry it and mm. and it's it's such a, a subliminal thing that happens so quickly in the in the film but um it's such a powerful little moment because you realize the community that steps in and mm -hmm. and those who who watch the movie um or read the book you know it's all true it's it's all what happened it because we took a crew with us and they just captured what happened so it wasn't like it was all staged it's not like we called ahead and said hey 12 people wait for us you know it like that happened yeah. it just happened right. <laughs> so right. yeah it's that's what i love about it and, and that's a, that's an it's an because I spend a lot of time in the Camino world and that, but that those things happen, you see them. And so, but it, that happened in kind of writ large and kind of stereo. Uh, and you guys captured something that is, uh, that, I mean, it's just a huge metaphor there for so many things about life, about faith, about community, uh, about who we're supposed to be and, and, but you, I see, I mean, that's something similar happened to me once similar where some, you know, took my backpack for me for, 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 for a little bit, you know, cause I was having a rough moment and they were the kind of people who would do that, you know, and, and it's, it's hard. It's really hard because especially in the Camino, because walking without a backpack is almost like, you know, you're going to be judged almost, you know, but then, yeah. but, but, but cheating, realizing that people <laughs> are out there. Yeah. It's cheating. You're, you're, you're probably gonna take a taxi or something later. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it is a hard thing to do to let go and let someone else do it for you. It's, it's, it's very difficult, but you guys captured that. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing yeah. pilgrim Camino Santiago thing. And, and it, so I want, I want to, I want to ask you guys a, a question, Patrick, 
And, and Justin, as y'all were talking about the Maseta, you you mentioned something that's similar uh, to for a lot of people is you get into that zone of the dead space. Mm-hmm. Um, busyness and has a way of masking our anxieties and our struggles, and we can only, I think, what it, what has the principle of that dead space taught you about the beauty? of what God can do in the dead space. Like, have you, have you, have you applied that to your life further as you guys have kind of come back from the Camino? Have you like, what, how have you, I don't know, take that for what you will. But to me, there seems to be a principle in the dead space of if you'll, if you just find the quiet long enough, you, God begins to break down a lot of junk that otherwise we'd never get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, It's, it's, I've kind of looked at it as like the, the, the dead space, the quiet space, those, those times where you can breathe. It's, it's where you can truly be present in the world. Mm. Um, and, you know, we all have life. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that we all have lives that we're pulled in a million different directions. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, that's, that's life. And, um, you know, we have jobs we have to deal with and, family, if you're family men, um, you know, if you're in a relationship or if you have other things you're committed to like volunteer work or those, I mean, you're just pulled nonstop. And, um, I've learned in my life and my wife and I do it quite a bit is we learned how to say no to stuff. Mm. And, you know, it's like kind of the power of no, like, you know, I could volunteer at 17 different things. I could have all of my kids doing 14 different sports all at one time. You know, it's like, but then we're going to be running around like, you know, chickens with their heads cut off and, um, which eventually leads to death. Yeah. You know, some of those things are important. Some of the things are like volunteer work or children's sports. And I mean, yeah, I'm not negating any of that. It's just learning how to say no and Mm. to, to say, is that really important for a quality of life Mm. that, you know, that my wife and I choose to live, um, so I've learned some of the principles of, you know, taking the time to, you know, like when Pat and I had headphone days, just time to think, time to, to be grateful, time to just breathe and time to not be bothered by anything. And, and not just for 30 minutes, we're talking like hours on end. Sometimes <laughs> I think our longest stretch was, I think, six hours without talking to each other. I mean, it was... Yeah. You know, but we're comfortable enough, you know, Pat's behind me pushing me and, you know, we're comfortable in our relationship. We don't have to talk every four seconds, but it's a, it's uh, a gift of intimacy that y'all have that anyone who's intimate just, can eventually become quiet enough. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's to be, it's to be, um, I guess, mature enough and to be, you know, be okay to be like, yeah, he, he needs quiet time. He needs time to yeah. process. And so do I, and it's okay. And it's to be, just to kind of let once that dust starts settling and you have time to breathe and be present, it truly is amazing how loud God's voice starts to yell at you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like he's been yelling the entire time. It's just, we're just too busy turning on things to drown it out. So mm. that's just kind of my two cents, I guess, but that's good stuff. But, man. But that's, that's why, you know, for thousands of years, guys have gone off and lived in the desert by themselves and 
you know, because they, they someone figured out that, you know, obviously they gave up other other things, monks and and nuns. They gave up other riches of life, but you know that idea of being quiet and being still and being focused. It's a, it's a. There's a, there's something there, and and we do. Yeah, I think you're right. We miss we miss it when we are, are fill our life with with lots of stuff. Yeah, and I don't know if that's culturally too, like because you know you guys are in different parts of the world than we are. Uh, even though you guys born and raised in America, and you know you Americans, Texans, but um, yeah. but you know what? I mean, Spanish culture from from Swedish culture, totally different things. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we spent an, enough time in Spain. Uh, I haven't been to Sweden yet, but enough time in Europe to just know that you know. Uh, there is a little bit more room to breathe, I think, than here in yeah. America when we're constantly going. So there is some cultural things too, I think, too. But um, I once had this Greek, old Greek man. I, was, I happened to be in a, on a Greek island before Sweden. I was in Central Asia, and we used to, whenever we'd travel, we'd stop over in in, in Greece and just spend a couple of days on an island. This old, old, old Greek dude at a convenience store or something looks at me one day, and says, "You Americans." You live to work in Greece. We work to live. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of wisdom there, you know, like, say, well, I, at the time I was young enough and foolish enough to think that he had it all backwards. Oh, what a, what a ridiculous way to look at the world. And now I look at him and go, maybe, maybe he was right. He's right. Yeah. yeah I got a little cool. taste of that when I lived in Italy for a little while, you know, cause it's very similar to Spanish culture where yeah. you know, yeah. you know, the siesta or the mm-hmm. hang out, you know, and, uh, I, I got a little taste of that before doing our, our pilgrimage. So it kind of helped kind of set the foundation, at least for me in that being okay with that. So. Yeah. The, the culture is definitely, there's a, there's, there's time for people. That's the thing there. There's always time for people that, that that's, you know, changing more a little bit, you know, because of the modern world we're in the, you know, um, I, I think for a lot of the, a lot of listeners are, are other missionaries or people in full-time ministry, I think that's where sometimes it, it's hard because you're you've got a job you got you've got a, a a mission you know that we've got to accomplish and so there's it's very much feels like we're driving it and I, I you know I, I think we're always trying to go back and go wait a minute I'm not driving this it's 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 Jesus it's the Holy Spirit it's but it, it I think we often it, many of our listeners sometimes feel that this kind of I've got to get all this done I got to do this I got to do this got to be this I've got to be so much for everybody even in these cultures which kind of do force you to slow down a lot. Uh, the the nature of the of the the business, for instance, does drive us in a in sometimes into some unhealthy areas as well. Something Bear and I have to talk about is a little bit of, well, along those lines. I mean, I mean, if ever there was an analogy for the way that I approached ministry for the first well, however many years I've been overseas 15, 15 years of my eighteen years or so of overseas ministry, it was uh, I'll push you up the Pyrenees, and I thought that I was the machine that had to do it. And I had to achieve things for the, I came back, I had to achieve things for the kingdom of God. I came back and started praying every morning. Okay, God, uh, I came back from the Camino and I started praying. Okay, God. Um, I, I started out by praying. I, I want to build your kingdom. I was kind of confessing. I don't want to build my own kingdom. I want to build your kingdom. And then I realized that's still backwards. So now I pray, God, I just want to live 
with Jesus today. And if your kingdom gets built, it's because you're doing it. And otherwise, I feel I feel like in a lot of ways, on a, in a spiritual sense, I became watching God say, let me take your back pack mm-hmm. and let, watch me carry this up the mountain. Mm-hmm. Watch me carry my ministry and what I'm doing up my... It, it, it's amazing how... Um, I don't know uh, how much I was trying to build my own kingdom and how much I was, Mm -hmm. I was pushing. I thought that it was up to me and kind of coming out of my Camino time and just the things that the Lord was doing. It wasn't exactly just the Camino, but it was something that began to change in me. Um, And, and you really begin to see that. I think that's a a principle that kind of, kind of comes out in that. Um, How, how has this, not just your time in the Camino, but since then. So I'm more interested in the, in the years, after that, how has it affected the way that you live your life as Christians in the world that you live? Oh boy, uh, this is loaded, man. You're you're you're, you're throwing some some deep I, questions at us, which is good. I, I, I have Keep I coming. am known I am known for lobbying bombs from time to time. Grenades. Yeah, that's right. great. But uh, I was say both Justin and I have gone through a pretty um, significant. Uh, metamorphosis in our faith, uh, both before, during, and since the Camino. Uh, my probably biggest one is actually since. You know, I, uh, I we grew up in pre-religious homes, you know, uh, where there was a way to do things, there's a way to see things, there was a way to, to believe. And um, I'm not trying to uh, look down on that by any means at all, but there wasn't a whole lot of room for question. There wasn't room for doubt. There wasn't room for wrestling with hard issues. And it's, I mean, throughout my entire adult life, but most significantly in the past five years, I have come to not only appreciate, but pursue the questions, the wrestling, the doubt, like look for it, because that's where my faith actually becomes stronger. That's where I figure out exactly what it is I believe as opposed to what someone else tells me I should. That's where I dig deeper into scripture and start to see where things are allegory, but yet there's still so much truth. Uh, That's where I started to appreciate the truth and fact are not mutually inclusive. Um, And that's something else we can talk about here in a minute if you want. That's Mm -hmm. a, I think it's a really important thing as Christians to, to embrace that uh, because that is what that kind of mentality is what leads me, what led me to, really this the stance that I've taken now is that I, I choose relationship over religion every single time, every single time. Mm-hmm. And I look back at what Jesus did and Jesus pursued relationships. He pursued yeah. people. He was not about rules. He fulfilled the law. Absolutely. Which is something we should really probably, you know, spend more time on in life. Like, Wait a minute. If he fulfilled the law, that means all these laws we're living by are no longer relevant. He is the one we're looking to, to be, right with God, if you will. It's not a checklist yet. What do we do in any type of religion, any type of church? We have a checklist of things that we got to do. And it's easy to wake up to say, I got to do this, 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 do my devotions, do this, blah, 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 and just check the box off. But as soon as we're doing that, what we've done is we've taken God out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've taken relationship out of the equation. Yeah. And I mean, I, I Justin's heard me say this probably a thousand times now. He's probably sick of it to a certain degree, but <sighs> In, he's in making strange faces matthew 22 right matthew 22 matthew 22 uh, this is, it's my favorite scripture in the bible hands down second one is matthew 25 but 
you know, what's the greatest commandment, right? When he's being tested and he's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But that's where we stop. But he goes on the very next sentence, Jesus' words, like our Lord and Savior, the one we claim to follow. He says, all the teachings of the law and the prophets depend on these two things. If we take that to heart, that means the entire Bible, every single word up to that point, the Old Testament should be measured against loving God and loving others. If we can't break down our understanding of scripture and those two things, if it doesn't measure up to that, we've missed the point somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's where I've landed is that God is my savior. I'm going to love him and I'm going to love others to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. And if I can't, I can't plug any element of of faith, uh, a church, whatever, into those two things. I won't have it. Yeah. Well, and then what happens in Luke when we learn about, well, who is my neighbor? Well, your neighbor is also your enemy, uh, by the way. So you got to love the guy who you're not supposed to, everyone tells you not to love. Um, Yeah. And that's, that's, that's hard. That's tough stuff, but that's powerful. Yeah, one of the I think one of the best sermons I heard on that part of Luke, the the good story of the Good Samaritan, right, is um, the the guy, a guy named Mike Erie. Um, I think uh, Patrick, as you're talking a little bit about your journey, I think it'd be he he runs a podcast called the Vox Podcast with Mike Erie, and used to be in a church in California as well. But um, he'd be he'd be pretty cool to check out because he's he's deconstructed a lot of those things. He's, he's had a little bit of a journey as well. And we actually did a podcast episode called uh, reconstructing faith and talking about just the fact that a lot of the things that we believe need to be deconstructed. Like we all, every Christian needs to go down that journey, that road of, of deconstruction because we're all believing things that are incorrect Mm -hmm. about God. But anyway, his sermon that he, and he did on that is called um, uh, the good terrorist. And he just puts it in point of like saying, you know, in all honesty, the Jews kind of saw this person as the way we see Al-Qaeda. And and this is the extent to which Jesus is is stirring the pot by pointing out this dude did it. Mm -hmm. And this is what he's calling us to. Um, I, I was just telling someone earlier before I got on this call, we were on a, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. I was on this thing with uh, some students down in a different part of Sweden. And, um, we were talking about, okay, what's, what's your favorite scripture? And, and mine is absolutely Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes through and it names what Jesus did. He died on a cross. Like, mm-hmm. this, is what, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Die on a cross. Become obedient to the point of death and die on a cross. And I still, I continue to ponder that because I don't, I don't fully grasp it. And I don't live it. Mm-hmm. But I know that's what I'm called to. And there's, you know, I grew up in a very fundamentalist uh, uh, kind of a, maybe a similar situation, um, a little bit of maybe Benny Hinn thrown in too. So anyway, we'll, we'll go there a different day. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> That's part uh, two. Of yeah, this. Right. Two episodes ago, we had my buddy Maxwell on and he talked about that side of things. And I can, man, I can just connect with all our guests. But anyway, man, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So Justin, your, your, your journey. Or go you know, ahead and say I, what you were going to say. No, I mean, I, I, uh, you know, Pat and I kind of have been following the same journey, you know, I think together. Pat is a little bit more, um, I'll give credit where credit's due. He's, he's more read than I am. You know, I'm not as a much of a reader as he is. So he's really, really into that. Um, and, but since, you know, since the Camino going on our pilgrimage together, you know, our lives were 
kind of turned upside down more or less. I mean, I, uh, when we came back, I'll give kind of people a quick snapshot. I mean, we started getting kind of press and those kind of things, started doing interviews and that kind of led to speaking. So we, the last several years we've been traveling around, well, all around the U S Canada, uh, even international men went to Ireland about a year ago nice. in Ireland. Um, cool, so we've yeah. been places, um, sharing our story and what we've been through and, and which is an amazing thing to do. I mean, to pre COVID to go and, you know, speak to thousands and thousands of people. It's pretty cool. Uh, and you know, to, to be able to make a living from that and, and to that kind of spawned into some other things. We have a few books, you know, outside of I'll push you, we have a children's book called the push. And then we also have a, um, our, our latest book called imprints. And so it's just kind of led and opened the doors in some areas in which we never really thought, well, throughout all of that journey, you know, we've had countless conversations with people when we travel and we speak um, and have heard incredible stories of heartbreak, incredible stories of transformation, mm. um, you know, kind of everything in between. And, and it really kind of has shaped me into the same kind of realm where Patrick's at, you know, you know, we're both, as we were both raised in the homes that we were raised in, you know, our parents have great beliefs and kind of instilled in us some really solid things. Do we kind of adhere to that now? Some yes, some no, like um, in, you know, we're adults and we've grown and we're, we're kind of seeking our own faith journey. And what does that look like for us? Uh, and, you know, kind of the same thing. I kind of sit, kind of boil down to the same concept, you know, love God, love others. And if you're not doing that, then you're off. And it's a great checkpoint for me to be like, mm. am I loving somebody in this moment? Am I doing the best that I can in this? Um, and it was, I was just about to say as kind of Patrick wrapped up was, I, I think, I don't know if I'm stepping on toes here, so please pardon me if I am, but, you know, I just, I have a hard time when I hear fellow Christians say, well, yeah, but dot, mm -hmm. dot, dot, mm -hmm. what about this? What about that? What about like, no, like, you know, you don't have to necessarily just because you love others doesn't mean you uh, condone what they're doing. Mm. Nope. You know, you don't have to even agree. You just have to love them through where they're yeah. at. So, you know, it's, we all have different viewpoints on things and that's okay. I mean, it's good to listen. Good to, good to understand. Like, you know, Barrett, Garrett, you might have different thought viewpoints on certain things. Patrick and I have kind of taken that stance and I'll speak for myself specifically here is I do my best to listen and learn and go, okay, well, okay. I don't understand, or I don't necessarily condone what you're doing, but help me understand, help me get through this. Mm -hmm. um, help me figure out what, what point of view are you coming from? And, you know, I might respectfully disagree with you, but it's like, okay, well, at least I know where you're coming from, you know? You know, I've had convers multiple conversations like this, you know, especially as of late here in the U.S. where we're dealing with a highly politicized world that we're living in. And there's a definite camp and two different camps. And um, 
I see you're both not wearing masks. So I'm in my house. That's a whole other thing. Oh my gosh. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. but it's, uh, but you know, it's this year for sure. Yeah. You know, it's been a year for many of us. Um, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think uh, on a global scale, this is not just the one country. This is not an isolated thing. Yeah. We are all dealing with something here. So, yeah. uh, which is hard to wrap your mind around, but also it's an opportunity to be, okay, well, how can I learn? And, you know, I've been challenged. I've been challenged this year for sure, without a doubt. Uh, you know, Patrick and I kind of fall in kind of the same kind of buckets on a couple things on some topics. Um, people that we know very closely do not. And so it's like, how do we, you know, how do we navigate ourselves through this and do it in a loving way? And it's, it's a challenge. It it really is. It's pushed me, you know, this year has been a massive year of, of doubt. Uh, not necessarily angry. I'm not angry, but questioning a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, I think Barrett, you said before we started, you know, this year, you know, Pat and I had this whole year, we had, it. I mean, since January, we were all ironed out. We were traveling X, Y, Z, these places, doing these speaking events, doing this and that. I mean, everything we had, we were yeah. all like ironed out. It was going to be our best year ever, blah, blah, blah. Nope. It just went, you know, and, um, and, you know, we, Patrick and I have had some really good conversations this year. Okay. Well, Lord, where do you want us to be? Mm. um, into what capacity and how do we get through this and, um, what do we need to do here and where do you want us to be, um, kind of moving forward and still seeking that, but throughout, you know, I've like, God, are you even really there? Like this year, I've had those moments, you know, I've been very honest with Patrick about that. It's like, man, I feel like earlier this year and I still feel this way to a certain degree, I almost kind of felt like a ship out at sea with no mast and no, you know, no rudder, just kind of out there, just floating around and waiting for the current to take me where I needed to go. And, and I am a, uh, you know, my wife will tell you this, Patrick will tell you this, other close friends, you know, I'm kind of like, I get a little impatient on some things. So just, I want things to happen. I see Pat Smirk in there. So <laughs> no comment from the peanut gallery. Yeah. Um, oh, there's more but, to that. Know, but. but you know, uh, you know, I, I'm more of a just, okay, God, I want you to work, but can you do it a little quicker, please? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just being patient this year and seeking, seeking, um, that quiet space that we talked about the void mm-hmm. this yeah. year has mm-hmm. been one massive just birch, stop yeah reorientate yourself listen reprioritize and um has it been tough for a lot of us yeah absolutely i mean we're very fortunate that we're not in some situations as some people like but um it doesn't mean that you know hard times can't fall on any of us. It's just, it's, it's inevitable. Right. That's life. Um, and so it's just been a faith journey of ups and downs and backwards and forwards and questioning and sometimes being angry, but also sometimes being, okay, I'll wait. 
and just so, being patient. Can I, can I ask you a question? So both Garrick and I obviously are in postmodern, liquid modern, post-Christian cultures where, you know, in Sweden, right? So I work for the organization which invented the four spiritual laws, right? And, you know, law one is God has a wonderful plan for your life. And then law two, law three, law four. And where we run into trouble is not law four. It's not law three. It's not law two. It's not law one. It's word one. God. <laughs> so that's where I spend most of my conversation, right? Talking with people. And so I, we live in a context where, honestly, it's not a presentation. Presentations about the gospel don't work. It has to be a conversation. It has to be entering into the story. But how do you find that just being honest about your faith? So I'm not talking about for the Christian who's uncomfortable with you being honest about your faith journey. I'm talking about you know, for the random people you meet. So it could be the people on, you know, Justin, you had, you know, in the book, you mentioned that a couple of times you would say when someone would push you, it was tell me your story. Mm -hmm. Don't you guys find that just being honest about your struggles and about even just faith in general is actually in so many more ways, more productive than I've got all the answers. Like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, whatever. you get not just more interesting conversation, but it actually is more productive for you and the other person, is it not? Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's no question. Oh, yeah. That's one thing that I, I, I've i struggled with in the uh, evangelical church in the United States to, um, for a long time, but even more so now, is that uh, you know a pastor is supposed to be infallible. The pastor, he's on this pedestal and he's telling us, you know, his insights into scripture, X, Y, or Z, da, da. I have yet to hear a pastor from a pulpit or in person lay out his struggles. I know mm-hmm. a lot of them really, really well. Not one. Because there's not that culture that's been cultivated. It's not okay to be yeah. weak. It's not okay to be, to not have it figured out. It's not okay to be a pastor in doubt. Heaven forbid what about Matthew for crying out loud? Yeah. Mm. Right. I mean, what, what about Jesus who cries out? Right. Why have you forsaken me? No. It was like, is there another way that I can do this? Are we locked right. into this? Because right. And, but what that's done. Something. Yeah. No, but what that's done is that, yep. is that there is now a, an uncrossable void between that pastor mm-hmm. and the parishioner person who comes to church they can never have that as long as that exists they can't have that type of dialogue and that type of intimacy there's two ways it's always man i'm broken i'm I'm struggling help me out here kind of thing and but all of us should be able to step in those conversations saying i am broken because we all are and then talk about why because what that does it's one thing that donald miller taught us long ago in his Mm storyline conference and then actually a million miles in a thousand years it's in the book there too is that someone else's you know someone else's life depends on you telling your story or living your story well Mm -hmm. because they need to know they're not alone yeah and if you're not willing to be to go there to actually share what your story is someone else is at risk of 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 losing their life in one way, shape, or form, or going down the wrong path, like that. That and right now we think about COVID. There's so much isolation. We're experiencing more isolation, yeah. more depression than we've ever experienced in American culture. It's probably that way across the globe. Yep. Yep. We need to know we're not alone, and that's what happens in those conversations when Justin says, "Tell me about yourself," and someone just lays it out there, and he throws it right back at him, like, "Here's my junk." Like, yeah. oh wait. 
we're a part of the same story. Yeah. Cause we all have pain. We're all broken. And we're looking for some way to find purpose in spite of the fact that we don't think we're worthy of love of whatever it might be. We still long for some type of purpose in our lives. And that's what Jesus offers when we embrace that brokenness and know that it's okay, that he's, he's the salt to the, the salve to those wounds that he's, yeah. we, we have to get to that level of transparency. If this is going to, this church is going to, is going to grow. It's going to blossom. It's going to continue to be something that's relevant in our world. Cause if we're only going to be, have these walls up, it's going to become irrelevant that fast. You know, and when Pat and I set out on this crazy adventure, I mean, when we Pat's boss, you know, Ed said, Hey, you guys need to film this thing. We're like, okay, well, what do we do here? Blah, blah, blah. You know, um, when we're, when we had, we had very explicit conversations with our filmmakers, our director, um, and, and to be like, can't sugarcoat this, but we have to tell it like it is. Like you cannot fabricate something that's not there because people will see right through that. And it's gonna, that's, you know, I think that's why people resonate with the movie so much is because it is real life. It is what really happened. And it is the crap that Pat and I deal with. Um, you read the book even more so because, you know, you, in a movie, you can only capture so much, but in a book, you can go a lot deeper. Right. And so they're great kind of sister components to one another, if you read the book, yeah. but yeah. you know, when we set out to write the book, um, you know, Pat and I made a pact with one another. It's like, we cannot, we're not going to just gloss over the hard stuff here. And I mean, there's even points in the book. I mean, I talk about, you know, suicide and things that I was dealing with, like really, really, really tough and dark things You know, our publisher. I have, a, I remember this very clearly, Pat, um, you know, I'll give credit where credit is due. Pat did a 90, 9% writing of the book, <laughs> if not more than that. Um, that's one of the challenges. How do you write a book between two people as one story? Uh, so we had to figure yeah. that out. But, you know, Patrick's a very gifted writer. And so he would spend time over here interviewing me. And we, you know, we know each other so well that it all really worked out really well. He really captured me and my voice and all that. But um, I remember specifically halfway through kind of the editing process, our publisher reached back out to us during the editing phase and said, we want to know specifics on how you would kill yourself. And I was like, uh, wow. mm -hmm. uh, I've never, ever, ever shared that with anybody ever. Wow. Um, I've never shared that with Patrick. I never shared that with my wife. I'd never, I mean, that's like, that's when you start airing those kind of details, and they wanted details. Like, how would you, you know, it's like, oh, you know, did I have ideas of how I do it? Absolutely. I had, you know, and it's, and I remember, I mean, I'm here in my office, Pat was sitting right here next to me. And, and I remember that conversation we had, I said, okay, we agreed that we're going to, you know, talk about this. And, um, and as much as I don't want to, um, it needs to be shared because, you know, we've said this in our conversation today, we have to let people know that they're not alone. Yeah. So 
it wasn't fun. I mean, it was not fun at all whatsoever to describe in detail to my best friend how I would kill myself mm-hmm. if I could. And um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it was really, really tough to kind of bear that because now it's public domain. So, right. um, you know, it's, everyone could read that story and learn about it. But, um, you know, I remember Pat just giving me a hug and and saying, thanks for doing that. And, you know, and, and he took that and crafted the words around that. Um, but looking back, I don't regret doing that because, mm-hmm. um, and I know Patrick shared lots of really tough stuff that he dealt with too. So we went all in with this and said, you know what, as Christ followers, just because you love our, our savior doesn't mean we're immune to the hard and the very, very dark stuff of life. It's how we work through it together as a community um, to love one another, support one another, that that's where, at least for me, that's where heaven intersects with humanity. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the more that we all share with one another and to be, hey, man, yeah, I had a really crappy day today. Like, yeah, <laughs> we, we've all been there. We've had those days. Yeah. Um, well, and to lean on each other and say, man, even... I love you. I may not relate, but yeah. I, I love you. You know, it's not even just, you know, I had a crappy day. I mean, I, I mean, I, th- those are, those are important, but it, it's the, there's a sense that vulnerability, true vulnerability unlocks um, and disarms what otherwise it, it unlock it, it, it disarms shame. Mm-hmm. True vulnerability disarms shame, and shame is so much what drives the world. I mean, you know, Brene Brown has done so much work on on you know shame and, and vulnerability and stuff. But I, it occurs to me that you you when someone has really experienced grace, they become not only the most gracious person; they they become a very vulnerable person. Um, experiencing true grace you begin to understand you you didn't deserve it. I mean, that is the, the definition of grace. You didn't deserve it. But we all walk around, including myself, I generally walk around thinking, well, of course I got grace. I'm pretty awesome. But Texas. Yeah, <laughs> Texas. God, God obviously cares about me. Um, but but there's the there's the reality that you, the, the stares on y'all's face when I said that I, maybe I'm not the only one or maybe I am the only one who walks around like that anyway. No, um, no. I, but I mean you know we we walk around like that. But the the reality is is we don't want grace for other people when they've harmed us. And and that to me says maybe I don't fully understand grace. Like I, I'm really quick to want justice when someone harms me. I don't want grace for them. I want justice. But if I were to do the same thing, I certainly would want grace. And that shows that maybe I don't really fully understand grace yet. But part of that grace element, I think, is at least the people I've experienced. I had a seminary prof who was one of the most gracious people I've ever met. But when you hear his story, honestly, you start to go, why is he a seminary professor? Mm-hmm. Because he... <laughs> I don't want to say because I want him to come on. I want to come no, on. We'll talk about. We went to the I same seminary. Be, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so anyway, but but my my point my point being is I don't I don't want to 
errors necessarily dirty laundry. I don't know. Anyway, but you, you start to, he's just a very open guy and he's vulnerable and he talks about his junk, not because he just wants to talk about his junk, but he's the most approachable, most gracious, most loving person. I think I've, I've interacted with, and there's something there and you guys have in spades, you've showed in your, in your book, but I think among each other, you're, that's one thing that makes your friendship really good is that vulnerability with each other. Um, that you've gone to the, to the depths of relationship with each other. If I have found in sharing the gospel or in talking about Jesus, the more that I can be vulnerable with someone, mm-hmm. the more that I'm, I'm leveling that playing field. And it's just, you know, you become what Martin Luther said, you know, one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. It, right. It, right. it is that beautiful picture, but we've, I think, I think the, the lust for power and prestige and celebrity for the church is deceptive. Mm-hmm. And it makes us think that that's the thing we need to seek. When Jesus said, come as the servant, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the upside down kingdom. I don't know where I'm going with that other than just to say no, it's, you, it's very powerful to, to think very differently than yeah. what we otherwise well, would. And your, your grace comment earlier is, this is something that Justin and I have, have, have talked about a lot. We, we have a, a small group that um, we don't meet the same way we used to um, with, you know, pre-COVID, but uh, we still definitely stay connected. And, and we, our, our, our kind of mantra is, is we exist to know and be known. That's, mm. that's I love that. what we're about, to know and be known. And that can only happen when you're willing to, to be vulnerable, right? But there's there's a, a kind of a magic that happens with with vulnerability, and I think it's the same magic of the cross. And people always get freaked out when I say the magic of the cross because they're like, "Ooh, wait, come on now!" And this is, magic just means something that we can't understand, right? You know, that's what magic was back in the day. It was like a chemistry experiment, and someone had red smoke, and it's like, "Ah, oh, you're an even." No, it was just a chemical <laughs> explosion. But yeah. things we don't understand. So the you have the transactional mindset of the cross. Like, okay, God died for me, da, da, da. You know, you look at that way. Or it can be, man, okay, he opened himself up in one of the most, the, the, like the most the yeah. crazy things you can do for someone, not to mention everyone, to die for them. And he's giving me permission to do the same thing. That sounds so weird. But mm-hmm. it's like, like, there's so much wonder and beauty in this kind of sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. And you can be a part of that. Yep. Yeah. While you said earlier to, to, to die for someone is like, I can't imagine doing that yet. I look at my kids and then I don't even think yeah, twice. Then you like, get it. Right. Yeah. You get it. Right. Yeah. Your wife, you get it. But stripping back from that, that vulnerability piece is when you are raw, when you tell someone your story like that and you're vulnerable, you're giving them permission to do the same thing. Yeah. And it's only when we're willing to go to that depth that we can actually start to understand God's love for us because he knows all that crap. Yep. And he still loves us. Yep. Yeah. When we are willing to go to that depth of rawness and realness and, and intimacy, we are giving someone else the opportunity to love all of us in spite of who we are and vice versa. And that's when a church community, a small community can thrive. When that level of transparency is not just not shied away from, but is pursued. Because mm-hmm. then we can start to understand what it means to have unconditional love for someone not truly because we don't have that capacity that that god has but we start to get a glimpse of wow 
okay, someone is willing to love me in spite of the fact that I abandoned my wife and kids for four years. Like she still chose to love me mm-hmm. in spite of who I am, in spite of who I was. That's the, that's the beauty of Jesus story yeah. <laughs> that we get to be a part of. And it, it, it's upside down. Because the, so the, there's, there's nothing in the world. Yeah. I mean, we can say all day long, this is, this is the great lie that the world would have us believe is that that's not the unique Jesus story, but that is the unique Jesus story. Because anytime you try to live that out, otherwise we, no one wants to live that way. No. Um, and, and, and it's something that stares us in the face. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so true, man. It, it, it's a theory. It's a theory I have about the Camino is, is that there, there is a, ability to go very deep with people very quickly especially mm-hmm. people who, who start who's people who start in saint jean and, and i think a lot of it is because you show up with a backpack smelly dirty uh the same type of clothes everyone else they're, they're you know no one cares no one really cares what you did back in the in the world you know mm-hmm. and so there's it, it it lowers these defenses and it creates this community because also all you're trying to do is get to the next spot all you're trying to do is find a little food all you're trying to do is help somebody that day get a little bit further or get mm-hmm. yourself a little further and and so then there there's a model for the church i think which is but we we created all this other stuff in our communities where well he's he's you know he's a millionaire or he's he's the pastor he's got all the questions answered and and there's this freedom on the communion of santiago which i think is an image of what we're really supposed to be which i right. you know, I, I think you guys experience that very very quickly as you walk with these people I'm also I'm, I'm in this. I'm interested. Are you, do you still have some contact with some of the people that you walked with? Because that's oh yeah something yeah. I think is yeah. very very common. I, I, yeah, definitely. You, you keep in contact with people you have no reason to know them, which is also the church. There's a lot of people yeah. who have no reason to know them. Uh, yeah. So so I just wanted to yeah kind of follow that metaphor. Yeah, it's pretty cool to. I mean, the Camino. We've kind of said this before. It's it's a great leveler. You know, yeah. it's a great it 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 really doesn't care about how much money you make or uh, you know, what profession you have or title or, you know, even religious background, uh, you know, cause we met everybody from staunch Catholics to, and Christians to agnostics and atheists. So, yeah. I mean, and, and we're all walking together. So it's like, okay, you know, uh, and, and I, I, I love that about that. It's, yeah. it's such a great, just, it just kind of level sets everybody. Um, and, and the connections you make, it's, it's amazing. I mean, we have friends like all around the world, which is really cool, you know, uh, to, to meet people and to, and to hang out with them and share life with them, break bread with them and, uh, have great conversations. And sometimes you see people for a day, maybe an afternoon to several days to weeks on end, depending on, the situation. Right. Um, and so I really loved that just being able to meet those people. Um, mm-hmm. we actually did it last year again, not the full 800 K. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did it, um, from Saria on in. Oh, yeah. So we took, our, took a group of people with disabilities and 50 or 30 something helpers from around the globe to make that. Wow, so how, how many of you were, you were there in total on that? We had 47. Yeah, 47. 10, yeah, 10 wheelchairs, one gal who was visually impaired. Okay. And the rest were helpers. Yeah. When, when I, did you I, guys told my, I told my wife that I, 
I, I am endeavoring to make it on one of those the next time y'all do it, or if not that one, then the next one, I, I want to be a part that I heard someone talk about it and I was like, man, I'm in me and my, me and my eight year old daughter, we're going to, we're going to do it. Yeah. But to even see, but to even see like, even that, that is a micro, um, I mean, we put the group together to, to make that happen, but even seeing that those members a year later still um, keeping in touch with one another and seeing each other and, and going on fishing trips with one another or doing girls weekends, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. we never would have imagined that. Um, So it is kind of cool to see um, that kind of play out as we've kind of progressed through certain things. But, uh, but the community aspect of the Camino is it, people had told us about it before we're going to go like, uh, people will help you. I think to a certain degree, we're maybe a little skeptical, I think going into it being like, where are they really going to help? You know, we probably going to get some help here and there, but no, I mean, people showed up in spades to help us. Uh, I think we lost count at over 150 people. Wow. Wow. Easy from 27 different countries. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we counted. So, um, Garrick and I are fairly convinced that that pilgrimage needs to be our primary analogy for the way that the church needs to go back making, go back to making Jesus known. We, that, that it is a pilgrimage somewhere, but you start off, you walk out your front door one way, you are going to end up completely different. You can't predict, but we're all on that same journey together. And that therefore, because we're in journey. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean all roads lead. uh, What I'm not saying here is all roads lead to God. I don't, I don't necessarily believe, I don't believe that, but I do think that it means get down with people, journey with them. And it it becomes something bigger and, and more, more bigger than you can imagine. What, what's not, what's not in there. I'm going to, I'm going to start channeling my inner, yeah, my inner George W. Bush in a second. We're from Texas. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. Pontification. Um, Anyway, uh, I have no idea where I was. Oh, that, that in the process of that, that, we get to know each other and that it becomes able to make Jesus known in, in, a, in a greater area. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't become a strategy. It's not how can we get as many people into the, to the bucket of the kingdom of heaven as possible, but rather as we journey, we will encounter people that we will learn from, but they will also learn from us and mm-hmm. Jesus will be known through that. Like that for me, because a shift has occurred in, in my thinking in, in that way. And I think the Camino has been a big part of that, but I think pilgrimage needs to be a part of the way that the church sees itself. I would agree. Well, and it's a great metaphor, right? In the, you know, we've, I think we were told this along the way, I don't know, maybe before we left, you know, the Camino's broken up into three parts, especially if you do from St. Jean all the way to, to Santiago, it's the physical first thirds physical. The middle is the mental and the last part's the spiritual. Mm. Uh, and for us, at least I'm sorry, at least for me, that's the way it was uh, very, you know, you're, you're trying to get used to walking, you know, 15, 20 miles a day or however that is for you. Um, but, you know, then you start getting to that rhythm and the kind of the mental state. And then you start getting to the spiritual state of that. But what is, what I think 
the modern church can learn from a pilgrimage is that it takes action. That first part is getting out. You don't get to the mental state and the spiritual state without state without getting action, taking action and taking that first step mm-hmm. and going in a direction. Um, and so you have to, to do that. Um, you know, and I, I'm constantly challenged in that too. So I have to constantly remind myself, I got to go out and do something. I just can't sit there and just, you know, pray all day long and hope that something's going to happen. Like it's good to pray. It's good to study the word. It's good. To, I mean, you know, whatever that looks like for somebody who's listening, but you got to get out there uh, mm-hmm. and make an impact in your community in the best way that you can. Yeah. There's I, I something awesome. really impactful when, oh. when, when we just, when we're, we get out of our comfort zone and we start more or less walking, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Patrick, I was just say, yeah, just bringing up prayer there. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine uh, on Friday, actually, and uh, we were talking about prayer because we know a lot of people that that they pray a lot, but that's it. It's like mm. you're concerned about someone's marriage, you're praying about it. Awesome. What are you doing, right? Mm. And uh, he said, his, it was really interesting. He said, he said, for me, prayer is a conversation with God where I can learn what step to take next. Wow. If I don't come out of a prayer with some kind of action, I'm not praying. I'm not mm. actually seeing what ouch, I need to do. Ouch. Right? And I was like, yeah. Oh boy. Okay. You just kicked me in the groin. Like yep. I got to listen to that, but it's so true. If I'm not, if I'm not yeah, actively seeking true. the next step, if I'm just like, Oh, I pray that their marriage will be okay. I pray that so-and-so will whatever, da, da, da. you know, I pray that someone can find a job. Like, okay, who do I know? Pick up a phone, start calling. I got a buddy who's an amazing, whatever. Do you have any job opportunities? We have so many tools and resources that are at our fingertips and yet we want to rest on our laurels and have God do all the work. And he's like, no, that's mm-hmm. not the way this is. Because when we really embrace it, we're plan A and there is no plan B. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like he left his Holy Spirit among us to go and do work, to actually right. be engaged in communities and to press into relationship and to be actively pursuing people in relationship and love. And if we're not doing that, we're not actually part of the kingdom of heaven he's talking about. We are a mm-hmm. part of something that we have fabricated. Yeah, I, sorry, I get fired up. I know. I, I, recent, I, I recently just Preacher told Pat, someone that so much of so much of my uh, so much of my prayer life has resembled an airing of my Santa Claus list. <laughs> like it's just like okay, here's here's what I need from you. <laughs> I've been yeah, a good right. boy, so therefore I'm justified in asking for these yeah. things. It's like uh, maybe maybe that isn't what I need to do. Uh, so uh, yeah, no, there is a, there is an element of that activity of mm-hmm. of, of that as well. Yeah. So you guys, you guys mentioned you guys, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but you guys now are got more plans for the Camino, right? This is, this is something you guys, this is, this has become for like a lot of people, a consuming kind of passion in many ways. It's not just, Mm -hmm. I think people need to understand if you do the Camino, there's a good chance you're going to do another one. Yes. Then there, or something is going to happen. Uh, so, so what, so you kind of alluded to it, but what, what is going on? What, um, what can people know about, pray about, uh, even get sure. involved, take action to go on. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Once they prayed. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, yeah. do you want to go? No, I was, I was, I was saying, go for it. Well, you know, um, I, I, I kind of back up a little bit, you know, we, we, uh, we are a little thick headed sometimes. I think, uh, you know, 
sometimes God's kind of knocking on our door and, um, and we're like, who's there, but we don't get up to go answer the door. Uh, and right. you know, uh, so, you know, we came back from our trip and speaking and all that, which is really great and all that. But throughout that, those a couple of years, we've had people reach out to me or to us and say, Hey, how do you do the Camino in a wheelchair? Uh, or I have, I can't walk as far. How do you do it? And blah, blah, blah. Or my friend, well, I want to take my friend who's in a wheelchair. How do you do it? And then, you know, spend an hour chatting with them on a call or email or whatever. And after about like, I think seven or eight of these calls, I'm like, Hmm, maybe we should do something <laughs> about this. Uh, and so, you know, I, I asked Pat, I said, Hey man, what do you think about taking, um, you know, people with wheelchairs on, or people with disabilities on the Camino and giving them the opportunity to do it. I mean, not the full 800 K cause that's a, that would be, that would be impossible. I think um, it, well, would be, it would be impossible. It'd be a lot of people. <laughs> it'd be a lot. Yeah. It'd be like 8,000 people on the trail, but, uh, but it would, you know, the infra, the, from an accessibility standpoint, the, right. the Camino yeah. does, is doesn't support uh, a lot of people want to see you, right? It doesn't support that. So, I mean, I, just me, I, I had maybe a small handful, maybe three accessible rooms the entire trip. Yeah. Uh, like yeah, I think so, yeah. so, you know, the, the Camino isn't necessarily known for accessibility, though it can be done in a wheelchair because I'm obvious proof and there's other people have done it. So, mm. um, so we basically put our heads together. So, okay, well, if we were to do this, what would it look like? And we partnered with Camino Ways out of Ireland, Dublin, Ireland. And they were one of our sponsors that helped us. And they were, they're awesome. Um, they, they've been really great partners and had been good friends of ours since we've done our pilgrimage. And um, they just, they, they take groups. Um, they can mm -hmm. arrange pretty much anything. If you want to walk with a priest, you can do that. If you want to do it in five-star luxury, you can do that. Or if you want to go rough it, you can go that way. Um, they kind of make it happen for anything. So we just started the conversation with them. It took about six months of planning. Um, and we said, okay, well, here's the things, knowing what accessibility needs to happen. This is what we need. And we put together our first trip and we did that last September of 19 and it was awesome. You know, it was one of those things that just, um, and we learned a lot through the process, but it just went really, really, really well. And it really told us that there's a lot of need here. Um, it's kind of a mini version of our pilgrimage where mm -hmm. many, but also large at the same time, because it's not just one person in a wheelchair, there's multiple peoples in, with different disabilities. Right. And how do you navigate that with community and, and creating that? Um, but we, we tried to put it together in a way. And so far we have, um, we were supposed to go this last June, take two more groups um, of 50 individuals each, but they got postponed again till 21. So we're crossing our fingers and praying that we can go. Uh, we don't want to put anybody at, at risk uh, from yeah. a health standpoint, but, um, but we are slated to go in June of next year, two groups. We do have a few spots available if somebody wants to look it up and apply um, as helpers or uh, if you have a disability, we've had a couple people bow out. I think so, I may have found out something to do in June. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> you just go to accessiblecamino.com and it'll take you okay. straight. But, um, and you'll learn all about the trip and what it's all offered and all that. Um, but it's, it's, it's basically, we strive for a five to six to one ratio helpers to somebody who needs help. And, um, and we make it happen. And it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. So it's a, a little different than a traditional pilgrimage. So we don't stay along the route every day because uh, the infrastructure is not yeah, there. It's just not there, so, yeah. Purpose, so yeah. We, we need accessible rooms. We have people that have um, specific you know, requirements and needs. So we have to, to work around that. So we stay in Lugo, the first part, which is about halfway between Saria and, well. No, it's, it's just north of Saria. It's, yeah, yeah, it's close to the start. Sorry, yeah. it's, it's close to the starting point. And then we move to Santiago and then bus. We bus each day. Um, okay. All accessible, yeah. all of that, stay in hotels and all that. But it's... How um, many how many days are you do you do it? It's it, We walk for six days. Yeah. Oh, wow. uh, it's a six-day... Making day. good time. So you're still doing... It's a good still time. Still doing full days. Um, and the first two days are the longest. They're 20K, 21, yeah. 20, 22K days, the first two yeah. days. Um, so we go pretty hard the first couple of days and then we ease out a little bit, but, um, but it's totally doable cause we've done it already. Um, and I think for me, it was really cool going back again and seeing the Camino through somebody else's eyes. Mm-hmm. So, and seeing it through somebody's eyes who, had, who never in a million years thought they would ever do it. Yeah. Um, you know, they're somebody who's a paraplegic or, um, or, or whatever their, their condition was, um, just to see it and coming into the square, you know, it's really emotional. Um, so we're continuing to do those. We'll do those as long as people want to do them. So we're planning on 22 doing two more in 22. Um, we're tossing around the idea of doing Portugal going up from Portugal on up um, as one of those, but we're, we're kind of in the early stages of that. Mm-hmm. So we'll continue, you know, keeping the word out about those and, uh, people are interested, just check out accessiblecamino.com and we'll keep updating that as groups, you know, as we move forward on that. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're called to doing on those, at least for now. That's and awesome. they're fun. They're a blast, you know, I can imagine. a lot of long days, but they're good. Yeah. That, well, that is the Camino, right? A lot of long days, but they're good. Yeah. <laughs> you've kind of, yeah. you've kind of summed it up all, all of it there. That's yeah. awesome. Well, guys, I, uh, selfishly, I'd like to keep talking. Uh, but, uh, I recognize yeah, this. Fantastic. Uh, we, we, we've taken up enough of your, uh, of your precious time. I do hope that our, our paths, uh, cross again. Um, Absolutely, I can't thank yeah. you enough for taking the time to, uh, yeah. to just chat with us, to give us your wisdom. Thanks for being vulnerable about your journey. Um, I appreciate both, both the journey of the Camino, but also the, the current journey that you're on. Um, as early on in our conversation, um, I don't, I guess it was when we were talking about, uh, Patrick, that someone had taken your, uh, backpack, reminded me of a poem that an Anglican bishop wrote while he was walking the Camino. And uh, he made it up in his head and then eventually wrote it down uh, and then composed uh, composed this. And I happened to hear an interview with him and picked it up. And I was just going to read it here because it it's just an incredible poem. And I quoted this. I, we, so on the Camino that I did with my family in September, uh, we would start the day uh, with uh, either a, a pilgrim's prayer or some kind of poem or whatever else. Um, 
and then a prayer together. And uh, anyway, this is one of the poems that we read. And this actually, sorry, this is the poem that went through my head the entire time because my daughter, who was seven years old at the time, uh, I overpacked her pack and it was too heavy. And so I ended up taking most <laughs> of her pack by the end of it, but she, she wouldn't let go of her pack. She just was happy that I took some things out of it and bless her heart. But as I kind of took things from my, one, my son and my wife and my daughter and my pack just kept getting heavier and heavier. This is the thing that I kept meditating on. I know a man who carries heavy loads for whom no weights too sharp nor yet too sheer, who does not ask when such a burden came or why it has been carried all these years, but does not share it splitting half with half or say you get what you deserve, no less. It is for ones like me still undeserving that he, pick, that he comes to shoulder and to bless. He picks up what you press on him and chides you with a smile if you persist in keeping what you cannot bear. His heart is strong, though not a strength incapable of weeping. Oh, come to him if broken, burdened, sad, and holding him and holding you, the strong man's heart is glad. I, I read this occasionally as I'm on my morning walks and thinking about the Camino, and it occurred to me that there is no better person to carry burden than Jesus Christ, and that he carried the, the massive burden of the cross up the hill and our sins, and in that forgiveness is found. And um, I, that's what I pondered as I walked the Camino this last time. Um, and it's just an impactful thing. Um, I can't thank you guys. We can't thank you guys enough for yeah, doing this so with much. us. This is awesome. Well, Everybody check out, I'll push you film yes. on Amazon, download it, buy it, share it with friends, spread the word because it is not just an incredible story of two friends, but it is an incredible story of grace, mercy, God's interaction with human beings. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. Go out and buy the book. Then book yeah. Patrick and Justin to come and speak. <laughs> yeah, and, and and go do the Camino. Go, and do, go the do the Camino, Camino and go call me, Camino. darn it, and I'll do it with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everything, pretty much everything is allpushyou.com. Yep. If they okay. want to get access yeah. to Great. all of everything. Everything's over there. Too. The whole yeah, thing. That's an easy one. Yep. Well, fellas, thank you all again. Right. And uh, Thanks, Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Camino. Adios. Hasta luego. <laughs> 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 <laughs>